You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It is Thursday, the 23rd of March, coming to you once again from Dubai, where it's a glorious day. Just a few like fluffy clouds across the skyline. Gentle breeze. It was a little stiffer at track work earlier on this morning. And the most notable addition to track work today was Frankie Dottori, who jetted straight in from California to ride work at 3.45 on the Saudi-trained Raed, one of uh, a stellar book of rides for the Italian on Saturday evening, which, of course, feature the defending champion, Country Grammar, who is looking for back-to-back victories in the Dubai World Cup. Uh, later on in this programme, we will be heading back home for a news roundup with the Racing Post senior writer Lee Mottasev. We'll be talking about how Honeysuckle and Constitution Hill were conceived in the same covering shed with Yorton Farms' David Futter. We'll be hearing from William Darby, chief executive of York Racecourse. York have bumped up their prize money quite considerably for this year, including a minimum guarantee of hundred grand for each of the races at the Ebor Festival, and I'll be talking to my friend and colleague Rosie Tapner about why she is heading into the boxing ring for racing welfare in June. But back to the Dubai World Cup and a man who has every reason to have very fond memories of this night, James Doyle. He will be riding Algiers, who is one of the favourites for the race, trained by Simon and Ed Crisford. You heard from Ed Crisford earlier on in the week. And I put it to James, having ridden so many good horses, that this was a horse who had come an awful long way in a short space of time. He has indeed, and he, he, he had a solid enough campaign back home with, um, you know, with the few races he ran in. Uh, but I think the gelding operation and, and the switch to, to dirt at Maidan has really seen him thrive. I mean, he's, he's been pretty dominant against um, the best horses we have on dirt here in the UAE. Obviously, uh, Saturday night is going to be a different contest to, to anything like he's he's taken on uh, in the past. I mean, you've ridden so many such high-class horses all across the globe. You know, you're perfectly placed to tell me, is this a real one? Is he a, is he a genuine group one proper talent, do you think? Well, I think before, I'd have been hard-stretched to say that before, um, well, as anyone would be before his, his two runs this season, but I mean, it's hard to knock what he's done. He's been exceptional on the dirt at Maidan. He, he travels strong. Uh, he shows a good kick um, off, off a fast pace, which he, he's got all the right attributes to, to suggest he is. And his rating of 120 suggests that as well. So I think it'd be foolish to, to say anything otherwise, really. I wondered if this represented a nice bit of symmetry for you because the last year's been fantastic with the wins in the two guineas, 2000, 1000, victory in the Breeders' Cup turf on Rebels Romance. I'll talk about him in a minute. Um, but a kind of when your career really went into into a, into another stratosphere was when you won on this card on, on Cityscape all those, all those years ago. You you must reflect on, on this day and what it's meant to you with, with great fondness. Incredible. I mean... Uh, the UAE and Dubai has been so integral in, in kind of 
helping push my career and highlight my attributes and just help my career in a huge way. I mean, obviously, I had the winter out here with Jebel Ali Stables back in 2011. And off the back of that, and obviously Steve drowned on unfortunate circumstances at the time, saw me get the ride on Cityscape. And we haven't looked back since. I mean, that, that was an, an incredible night and one that I'll, you know, always... Um, hold close to my heart. I mean, it was, it was, I could never have dreamed of winning a race on, on World Cup night and to do it the way Cityscape did, it, it was just exceptional. I mean, I, it's actually nice. Um, in the hotel I'm staying at, they, they play old runnings of, of the World Cup meetings and um, it, it was quite nice to watch um, the Cityscape one back um, yesterday. So it's something I reflect on with uh, great fondness. Yeah, I can I can quite imagine. You could win that very race again on, on Master of the Seas. Now, I've always been rather admiring of this horse and a bit rude about him at the same time. I just feel that if, if it all clicked together, he definitely has got the ability to win a big one. Do you agree? Absolutely. He's got he's got a huge engine, um, as we've seen in the past. I mean his run his run in the two thousand guineas was exceptional. Uh, it, so he he's proven he can he can, you know, dance at that top level. Uh, he, he obviously won nicely his, his first race out here and then the race in the Jebel Hatter it was a real mess um, there was a bit of scrimmaging early on which saw him get shuffled back uh, which wouldn't have helped his chances by any means but what I really liked was the way he, he hit the line running and he, he looks pretty unlucky he's got a slightly trappy draw in 10 so we will need a bit, bit of luck early to, to get that kind of ideal spot on him but he's, he's certainly got the ability to do it. If everything, you're quite right, if everything clicks into place, he, he, he could be very dangerous in, in the Dubai turf. And, and so often this season in Dubai, we've seen it and we saw it at the Breeders' Cup, these Godolphin horses are so closely matched that really, if you're, if you're being asked to ride one or William's choosing another one, you could easily end up on the best one. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as we've seen right the way through the carnival and back to the to the... Breeders' Cup. There's just there's there's nothing in them at all, is there? And I'm probably glad in a way that William, it, it's William's call which one he rides, and I'm kind of thankful for whichever one I get, really. But I'm almost glad in a way that it's William who, who has to make that decision because there's there's honestly nothing in between them. Obviously, um, Nation Nation's Pride's been stuck out in 16. I think that's quite an unfortunate draw for him, but as we know, he's super talented as well. So, yeah, there was, it was a difficult decision for Will. Well, it's been a terrific year for you, um, James. Best of luck on, on Saturday night, particularly on Algiers. Thanks for talking to me. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Good man. James Doyle there. And Algiers in the World Cup itself has to contend with post-13, which is not ideal. But having said that, he's got country grammar to his outside in 14. These uh, posts were drawn in a, a ceremony downtown last night. And in 15, even wider, is Panthalassa. So three of the top four in the market in 13, 14 and 15 part well out wide in the Dubai World Cup. And there'll be more build up to everything that's happening out here on tomorrow's podcast. But let's check in back home in the UK with senior writer from the Racing Post, Lee Motter said, Lee, what's setting the news agenda today? Well, plenty of coverage of what's going on out with you, Nick, in Dubai, but also... Um, we're also looking forward to the next big Jumps Festival. We've had Cheltenham, it was amazing, and now we're looking forward 
to Aintree. Um, really interesting discussion between yourself and Rishi yesterday on the bowl at Aintree, which looks like being a Gold Cup equivalent without Galapan Deschamps and further heat really underneath the the uh, the Aintree pan yesterday came from Gordon Elliott who was predicting having a big team of horses at this season's Grand National Festival. Gordon had three winners at Cheltenham. Now, I think that was probably, I'd say, the, the minimum of what he was hoping for, based on what he said before. And he certainly didn't have a bad Cheltenham, and he won the stairs hurdle with, with Saïd de Belade. But there aren't many people who are hungrier for success, for success uh, than Gordon Elliott. So he'll want to have a big shout at Aintree's and have a bigger team there than usual. And one name that really stood out, Nick, was Jerry Colomb, who we saw flashing home from the final fence under Jordan Gainford in the Brown advisory. Didn't quite catch the real whacker. He will seek to make amends, it looks like, in the uh, the Marlmain Novices chase, the grade one there at Aintree. Gordon reasoning yesterday that he's a soft ground loving horse and realistically, conditions probably won't be in his favour by the time we get to the Punchestown Festival in late spring. So he'll likely go to Aintree, as you were saying with Rishi yesterday, conflated heads to the bowl. And Gordon will have other horses too who didn't go to, to Cheltenham. He, he picked out he picked out a couple uh, yesterday, Irish Point and Absolute Notions, who didn't go to the Cheltenham Festival. He spoke about to... Uh, the post Delta work Galvin Coco Beach uh, lining up for the Grand National. So a big team from Gordon heading to Aintree. And it does look this season with that extra week between Cheltenham and Aintree as so we really could have a spectacular Grand National meeting headed, of course, not just by the great race on the Saturday, but the great horse Constitution Hill in the Aintree hurdle on the Thursday. Yeah, I would imagine the entry executive will be quite keen for some further rain in the northwest, but you can guarantee that there'll be plenty of irrigation if that doesn't materialise, particularly with that big gap between Cheltenham and Aintree. And the weather just starting to look as though it's going to take a, a turn for the better, Lee. Um, more in your paper today about affordability checks, but I think this is significant insofar as there is now official confirmation of, of a BHA consolidated position to government on this, which perhaps we haven't quite seen before. Yes, um, Nick, we, we, we learned uh, in the Racing Post through Administrator Bill Barber today that um, the BHA had expressed, a, as you say, a formal position on where the sport stands in relation to affordability checks and not just in relation to what they might do um, if they are enshrined in law, if you like, through the gambling white paper when that becomes legislation, but also what they're doing now as a result of bookmakers being fearful of the gambling commission and enacting affordability checks of their own. Um, we learned of uh, BHA evidence to a DCMS committee. Um, just picking out some lines here, Nick, um, the BHA said it was vitally important that any measures should not impact the vast majority of customers who are betting safely on a wide variety of betting products, including horse, including horse racing. And in terms of the, the, the checks themselves and what they are doing, um, the BHA said the implications of this, i.e. Uh, affordability checks at as low as £100 a month, would be financially devastating to racing, with tens of millions of pounds in lost revenue at a time when its finances have already taken a significant hit due to the COVID pandemic. 
really strong words from the the, the BHA. Uh, they spoke of how the the uh, the Czechs are already having a devastating effect um, on the sport with with tens of millions of pounds of revenue being lost as it is now. So further evidence, and there was evidence was all presented by bookmakers to this committee that affordability checks here and now are having a major impact um, on the horse racing industry and a warning to, to government that whenever we do see this white paper and Billy's suggesting that now looking at the second half of April at the earliest, that whenever we do see the white paper, the government's approach to affordability checks has to be measured. Encouraging prize money news has come through today from York Racecourse. Always aiming up, but this year it's £10.75 million pounds, um, prize money, up from £10 million. And every race at the Ebor Festival in August will be worth a guaranteed minimum of 100000 which is uh, quite, a, quite a feat. William Darby is the chief executive of York Racecourse and, and joins me on the line now. Uh, William, I, I've asked several racecourse executives the same question. How do you do it? How do you actually achieve these numbers in the current climate? I know, Nick. I've heard you ask the, the my colleagues at other race courses. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it's a it's a commitment by the York Race Committee to 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 our sport, and it's so important that the lifeblood of the sport filters down through all the training yards and back to owners. And and really, it's a commitment to try and attract the best horses to the to the race course and put on compelling and competitive racing. In terms of how we've done it, um, we had a really strong year in 2022. So there's a a bit more in the piggy bank than, than we perhaps planned previously so that sort of success breeds success um, and, and we've got great support from our partners and our sponsors and and, and Raceco is um, looking to come and see some fabulous racing that we saw last season so so it's an investment of economic challenges you either you either sort of draw back and hide in a hole or, or you you're bold and 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 show confidence in our sport. Yeah, obviously there are clear economic challenges and your um, cost of operating is going to be significantly higher, I would have thought, with, with inflation and energy costs. To what extent are you uh, are you feeling that? Yeah, I think I think that it is it is a challenging time across the board. We we spent a lot of time as part of our sort of sustainability program to to make sure we're using energy judiciously and and uh, we've reduced our energy and and carbon footprint by fifty percent at York. So, um, but but costs are a challenge, like they are with every business. Um, we're we're trying to be innovative and, and do things differently and and have a great team both at the race course all year around and and, a per, and the race t- day team that come in that um that really ensure that we we opt to operate as effectively as possible and and, and are are responding to the challenge of our times oh, now william a lot of uh, your colleagues across race courses have cited whirlpool as a significant driver in in their reasonably healthy balance sheets i mean how important is it relative to a, a thriving race course like york Yes, it's hugely important, Nick, and and we have a very close relationship with Whirlpool and Hong Kong Jockey Club, and and the first three days of our four-day Ebor Festival are, are Whirlpool days, and have performed incredibly strongly across across Whirlpool. So it's it's an important revenue stream, um, as as we said last Ebor, or everything we make from from our betting related media rights goes back into prize money. So so it's really a a, a success cycle, if you like, and. Vital 
vitally important to to the industry and it's it's no secret to, that we'd we'd be delighted for for ebor saturday to be part of the whirlpool family and um and that's why we've made such a big commitment to the prize fund on the saturday with with a boost to the skybet city of york stakes to five hundred thousand pounds which is the richest race course funded group two um obviously we had space blues and ken ross win that win that seven furlong contest in the last couple of years um we have to get a group one rating for a group two race so it's a it's a long road to get a to get group one status but we're we're determined to give it our best shot uh, and that's why we've made the commitment in prize money to the race and, and can, william can you see any reason why this prize money escalator shouldn't continue on the trajectory that it is, even in the the face of a of a, a difficult climate. Well, I think I think it will continue if, if if we continue to deliver competitive, compelling racing. We had a record number of runners in 2022 at York, um, the highest average field size of any racecourse in the UK, um, of just under 12. Uh, but but. W- to, to continue to fund the prize money increases, well, we need to be successful as a business across all our all our business areas, um, whether that's betting or, or sponsors or race goers. Um, for instance, next month we've got The Crown, the Netflix series filming at York. So that's a big taking over the whole site for a, for a couple of weeks. So we have to be tenacious and innovative in, in everywhere. And and all the money that we make as a business will get reinvested in in prize money facilities and the race course experience. So it's it's not a foregone conclusion. It's it's the better we do as a business, the more we can fund into prize money, the more return to owners, uh, and hopefully the more reinvestment in in bloodstock that they can they can make in the sport. And we're very conscious, uh, and and likewise all the all the big race courses and all race courses that that we rely on horses in training and, and the ecosystem of racing to, to deliver to deliver the great racing that we see on the racetrack so we take that responsibility incredibly seriously and, and this, this prize money announcement is really a, a show of commitment and, and confidence in our sport um, to hopefully encourage people to own horses to, to, to watch horses and to bet on horse racing. You, you listen to your customers the last time we had a long conversation on the podcast we were talking a little bit about about cash and you're one of the few race courses that still allows people to, to use cash across the site that's just that's just one example um what have what have punters and race goers told you that they want in 2023 that they perhaps mightn't have had in, in previous years yeah i think i think it's a it's a continual upgrade in facilities and all areas of the race course so we're we're refurbishing a number of the bars that that perhaps we 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 sort of hadn't done in a couple of years so we're looking forward to opening them um it's people wanting a a, a, re, a great drink so we're famous for for reasonably priced champagne at york race course so we've spent a lot of time with the champagne houses during the winter ensuring we've got a really good range on offer um but first and foremost i think people what people want when they come to york is is great racing great great stars um obviously the dante festival last year we we saw Desert Crown, um, uh, Emily Upjohn and Stradivarius win our win our feature races on each of the three days, and and we we know how uh, how how well those horses done. Um, Desert Crown was the twelfth horse to complete the Derby Dante Derby double. So I think you know this is part of attracting those great horses.
is um, hopefully there's a great welcome. Um, we work very closely with our team, had all the team in yesterday for a big sort of pre-season um, training session and, and, and sort of encouraging the team to, to give that wonderful um, Yorkshire welcome that, that hopefully we're renowned for. So so it's across the board. There's lots of innovations and, and, and changes for the season ahead that we'll We'll, we'll introduce and, and we've frozen our prices at the Dante Festival, that three-day midweek festival that's so so favoured amongst racing fans. Um, so hopefully we're sort of responding to the cost of living price crisis by by holding our prices at the Dante Festival while at the same time increasing our prize money to get the best horses to, to come racing. Well, that was William Darby, the chief executive of York Racecourse. Um, aiming up, as always, York, that's a hundred grand minimum for every race at the Ebor Festival. Lee, I mean, uh, owners and trainers, particularly in in Yorkshire, but a- across the country, don't need much inducement to to run horses at the at the Ebor Festival. But that's that's a quite a strong message sent out by a, a course that generally receives more bouquets than brickbats. And it receives more bouquets than brickbats for very good reasons. Um, I've said on this pod before, as have other contributors, Nick, um, and written the Racing Post regularly, how York just gets so much right. Um, its model in many ways is a perfect model akin to the Jockey Club, whereby everything it makes in profits is pumped back into the business. There are no shareholders uh, taking cash out of the business. It all goes back into the racing product um, at York and the facilities. And yeah, the, the prize money announcement this year is again exceptionally positive. Um, some of those increases, you know, a five hundred thousand pound Group Two City of York stakes. Now York again doing all it can to get that race up to Group One level. But we're going to have things, Nick, like the Convivial Maiden stakes being run for a hundred thousand pounds. Now um, the idea of a maiden being worth a hundred k is extraordinary um it will make it more valuable um it already is more valuable than a number of group races for, for juveniles in britain ireland and france and that will be even more so the case this season uh, not surprisingly lots of positive comments from participants in response to the news and again more bouquets for your well-deserved yeah, I was just trying to work out, actually, with the current exchange rate, where that maiden race sits in terms of world's most valuable, uh, because there are six-figure maiden races in the US, but I, I, I did wonder whether any of them would, would exceed six figures sterling. I'm sure somebody from Saratoga or Kentucky Downs will be... <laughs> will be on will be on to tell me um before too long but that's that's a a, a very significant pot for a for a maiden but uh you're really setting setting a standard and the other important note to take out of that lee was again another race course executive stressing the you know the the importance of whirlpool to their 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 prize part yeah absolutely nick and i think you will see even more so this year um race courses that have whirlpool fixtures will be working very hard indeed to ensure that the right races are staged on those days um, particularly tracks that have um festivals whereby the whirlpool only takes place in some of the festival days i think they'll be moving races onto those whirlpool cards that will really guarantee as much as any race executive can big competitive fields and I think there will be race courses that maybe stage one-off whirlpool days. We'll be looking hard at those cards 
and thinking, do the races that we currently stage on these days guarantee us the sort of revenue we should be getting from a Whirlpool day? And if they don't, do we need to be looking at the race programme and maybe introducing new races onto those cards to make the most of the Whirlpool opportunity? There will be nothing worse than having this great opportunity to bring new money into the sport and then delivering a programme that negates um, the the potential riches that that, that that card could deliver. So it's, it's really good news. And I think what you know from York is that their cars do tend to produce big fields, competitive racing, and exactly the sort of thing that punters want. And what punters want is clearly crucial to the success of the Whirlpool, no matter where the races are being staged. All right, well, possibly a little-known fact, or at least a little-publicised fact, was that the two heroes of that golden hour at Cheltenham last Tuesday, Constitution Hill and Honeysuckle, were actually conceived in the same um, covering shed at Yorton Farm in Welshpool. Uh, Constitution Hill by Blue Brazil, who then went on to, to stand at Rathbury in Ireland, having stood for several seasons at Yorton, and honeysuckled by the ultimately Yorton stalwart uh, Suleimani, who has the rare distinction of starring a classic winner, a Grand National winner, and a multiple champion hurdle winner. Dave Futter is uh, the mastermind behind Yorton Farm and the Yorton Stallions and joins me now. It's quite something, Dave, when we talk about the proliferation of French breads winning at Cheltenham last week, um, all the success out of the Irish point-to-point field, that the two great heroes of the sport were actually conceived in Welshpool, in Yorton, by two of your stallions it must be must be quite humbling yeah it is nick you know um we all none of us need to be told how difficult it is when you go into breed national horses and uh for two british breeders to have the success they had at cheltenham from yorton you know yorton stallions is absolutely fantastic yeah Uh I, I made special mention of Suleimani because I know he was a horse that was very, very dear to your heart, wasn't he? He was a he was a horse that you'd have you'd have never let slip through your fingers. Just tell us why. Oh no, I, I mean um, uh, he was a great racehorse, great pedigree. Um, he was out of a ledge mare, and it, he'd already, although he went off in, on the flat side, he went out of fashion quite quickly for the type of horse he was breeding. But you know, he he bred a. I say ledger winner from his first crop and then we bought him after that and then from his first crop again obviously later on he bred a grand national winner and he bred numerous um grade one horses you know throughout the world really and uh, we were very fortunate and, and as i said before i think on your show it, it's he was he was a savage when we got him which we weren't aware of and i thought i knew quite a lot about handling stallions until i met Suleimani. but we got to a place where we both got on although you could never trust a stallion 100% like that we got after the first year we never had any more trouble with him but um, we both him and I became very fond of each other well I'm not sure he became fond of me but I became very fond of him yeah he was a, he was a super horse and I, I still miss him greatly and and Honeysuckle's a wonderful legacy to him and and Blue Brazil we've talked about as well and everybody has he he really has the potential yeah. to be a generational super sire doesn't he if, if if he's not already what was it you liked in him when you saw him because you you sourced him you got him from france you brought him to to the uk for a bit and um, we'll talk about selling him on in a minute but what was it you liked about him well i was tra- traveling around france looking at um looking at always as we were buying you know, the last 15 years 16 years we've been in france buying young folds yearlings two-year-olds 
and I'd be on Breeders Farm and saying, "What's that one by Blue Brazil?" And I'd be on another play, "What's that Blue?" And I was, really, you know, I'd be Richard Venn, who, who we used to buy most of our stallions, and I just said to Richard, "Look." We best go and see if we can get this horse forward. I said, I know he's not doing much at the time. He was only covering about 35 mares, which is a low number in France for a horse like this. Went to see him. Um, we might, we liked him. We managed to get a deal done. Richard got the deal done. And, um, you know, we, we got him bought and we took a punt. And he, at the time, he was the dearest sterling we bought. He didn't have much of a profile. I think if we brought him to the UK at that time with the profile he had he wouldn't have got supported at all and often you you've got to try and jump before everyone knows they're good horses and we were lucky we you know no one could i couldn't sit here and say oh, i thought he'd turn into the stallion he's turned into or potentially can turn into um but we knew he would have a really good a really good chance because of the winner the few winners he'd had by the moderate mares he was getting and the type of models they're all good horses with great movement and great minds so it, it, although it was a punt, it wasn't too risky. And, and I suppose the obvious question people will say is, "God, Dave, what, how, how could you sell him when he, when he was starting to do so well?" But I guess, I guess, if you're trading horses, everyone's got their price. Yeah, you, 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 you know, Yorton stands on its own. Um, it's been a family business that we've grown, and um, we have to develop and we have to move forward. And I know. So I think probably some of the British breeders were fed up when we sold it, but you've got to look at it positively. If Yorton hadn't have bought the stallion at the time we did, and remember he stood at, I think, two grand or two and a half grand when we first bought him, no one would have had the opportunity to use him. You know, if so, if you wait to the if you wait to the getting grade one winners, banging them out, same as you went and try and bought Dr. Dino on no risk at all, they just can't, they can't be bought. So we have to look at it positively that we were lucky enough to have him in the UK for four or five years and any British breeder wanted to use him could have used him at a reasonable price and look what's been bred I mean we've got Constitution Hill and many others that are going to come through in the pocket and different diff- very good horses that will come through that will be British bred and you know he will leave a legacy here in the UK and obviously they can jump on the boat and go over and use him over in Ireland if you want to and another ridiculously impressive winner uh, at Weatherby the other day from that crop, from that British conceived crop, um, although foaled in France for, for for Ollie Murphy. So plenty more to come. Now, Dave, you've, you've had a, a whole litany of stallions subsequently and previously. Who are you really backing to be the next horse to, to, to sire a, a, a generational champion from Yorton? Because clearly it's something that you can do quite readily. The British breeders, we knock ourselves really because we say oh, there's not many good stallions in the country and all this. And if we just look at one our farm on, on its own in the last ten years at Yorton, we have you know we've stood Suleimani, Malinas, Great Pretender, Clovis de Burley, Gentle Wave, Blue Brazil, and if all of those, a lot of those stallions are still alive, and the ones that are, st- are alive are covering well over a hundred mares. And the ones that are dead, if they were still alive now, they'd have a support of 100 mares. We've, we've got to um, stop knocking ourselves and really look at the stallions that are around us. And there's lots of proven stallions in this country. There are multiple grade one winners. You know, at Cheltenham last week, 28, 28 races, 27 different stallions. You know, Sean Tu was the only one to have a, you have a double up. So it shows that, you know, the mares are equally as important, if not more important than the sires. But the one sire, I think, of our own that could tick the box is a horse called his master stroke um we tried buying him the year before we we um we, we actually purchased him and for you know, 11th hour the deal fell through 
And in hindsight, it was the best thing that ever happened. He will he covered their 97 jumping mares over in France. He covered some of the best jumping mares. And they're just turning three now. And all those all those runners will go through the French... A lot of them will go through the French system. Hopefully, there'll be two or three nice ones in there that will come through and join the Irish training and the UK training system and then promote him. And the, so the, the breeders that have used him over the... You know, the street breeders that have used him over the last two, two three years will hopefully have some come through and they'll be the flagship and then they'll benefit from, um, you know, at the sales and on the race course going forward. Well, we always like to support uh, racing welfare and their charitable endeavours on this on this podcast. And now this is one with a bit of a difference. It's, um, I guess, white collar boxing is the way you'd describe it. Uh, it's going to take place at, at Newmarket's Rowley Mile on the 17th of June. Um, Ollie Bell, uh, ITV's most beautiful presenter, is one person um, is one person taking part. I'm I'm worried about him three days before Royal Ascot, but I'm with no disrespect to to Ollie. Um, I'm more worried about Rosie Tapner, um, my good friend and uh, sometime colleague, who is also taking part um, in this. W- what on earth are you doing? <laughs> I thought that might be your first question. Um, I've always wanted to have a go. I've always wanted to get into the ring, have an opponent and um, and box, because I did it for fitness years ago. And uh, I was never allowed to uh, actually box someone because when I was in the fashion industry, uh, apparently my face was quite important. But it's not important anymore. So <laughs> we can go for it. Uh, okay, you said that, not me. Uh, do you know who you're who you're fighting? I don't know yet who I'm going to be fighting. I think at the moment there are only, I think it might be only me as the girl, only girl signed up at the moment. But there might be a few. There are a few others that sort of 99% there, uh, and hopefully will sign up soon. But they, there will be sign ups hopefully because um, I need an opponent. Well, you do, and there might be people uh, who box, women who box, listening to to this show, um, and they might look at you and think, mm, yeah, okay. She doesn't look, you know, as though she's a boxer. But see, yeah. knowing you as I do, I reckon you're absolutely. I reckon you're going to be absolutely hardcore because you can do most sports to a fairly high standard. I'm quite sporty. I think I've I've always been very sporty in my life, and I love a challenge. I love giving something a go. And this is going to be eight weeks of training. And actually, I'm probably going to start ASAP because I want to get as fit as possible. Because the other thing is, I'm as you know, I'm very competitive. Uh, so if I'm going to do it, I really, really want to win. <laughs> but it's going to be amazing. We're raising money for a brilliant um, charity, Racing Welfare. Um, and it's going to be at Newmarket in the Rolly Mile, uh, in the parade ring. And uh, yeah, th- like you said, three days before Royal Ascot. So we, we could be going with a black eye. Yeah, you're the only person I know who is as much of a lunatic to, to do something like this just, just before Royal Ascot. But it is a, it's an absolutely fantastic cause. And I think you doing it and Ollie doing it is going to massively raise the profile. I know Warren Greatrex is involved as well, the trainer. And fingers crossed we can raise an absolute ton of money for racing welfare. You'll be unsurprised to hear that I won't be be taking part. But I'll be, oh, come on, I'll be come on. cheering you on from the... <laughs> From the sidelines. I mean, what people don't know, Rosie, or might not know, is that you're not even the most adventurous person in your own household. <laughs> no. Well, so my boyfriend is, is an adventurer uh, with his identical twin. And I did say to him, uh, should I do this or should I not? And he said, I'll support you, whatever. And I think he's instantly regressed it because I've 
put the boxing gloves on and I just start um, whacking him. So I'm not sure he's that happy about it. But no, I'm not the most adventurous one. But I think uh, I'm trying to one-up him on this one and, and try and do it. But we did, you know, we did the 24-hour cycle last year with Racing Welfare. Um, and I did the marathon for a different charity as well. So I, I need a challenge every year. And I think this is possibly going to be my biggest one yet. Okay, just just remind us what he, what he's trying to do at the moment. Just Just to make people kind of... <laughs> feel physically sick oh god it makes me feel physically sick um so he and his identical twin uh this will probably be at the start of next year although if i can put it off it will it will be a lot longer um but they are trying to break the world record at going the highest they can in a paramotor which is effectively paragliding with a motor on your back um and it's about thirty thousand feet which is the height of a plane so it's not um it's not something i try and think about too often you, you've met your match. Of that, there is no doubt. In the, mean, in the meantime, he has the important job of being your sparring partner as you build up towards uh, Racing Welfare's great challenge this year, which takes place on the 17th of June on the, on the Roly Mile. And I think it's fair to say that however it manifests itself, you're enjoying broadcasting on horse racing and equestrian sport more than you enjoyed walking the catwalk absolutely without a doubt i'm so pleased to be out of that world and into this one i love it it's something i always wanted to do was uh broadcast and be a presenter and uh, i think i i thank my lucky stars that fashion got me into this now but it's it's certainly not a world that i enjoyed whereas this one i am absolutely loving every second of was a model now a boxer and something in between rosie tapner thank you so much thank you very much nick all right, thanks to all my contributors today. Uh, Lee Mottishead, Senior Writer in the Racing Post, is still with me and has a tip for you for today. Yes, Nick, um, you have a very international flavour this week, of course, being out in Dubai. Um, my normal uh, policy at the moment would have been to say, well, tip the Japanese horse in X-Race, but Japan is so uh, <laughs> numerically strong at Maidan this week. You can't just tip the Japanese horse because the Japanese horse might be beaten by, beaten by four, five or six other Japanese horses. Um, so I'm going to go a bit um, left field and I tipped a horse in a group one in Australia two or three weeks ago. That horse finished third in the new market. I'm going to try again, Nick. Uh, it's not just in uh, Dubai. There's, there's a big uh, international challenge in race this, this weekend. Joseph O'Brien is represented in the Tancred Stakes at uh, Rosehill Gardens on Saturday with Cleveland Horse, who'll be well known to European racing fans from the Chester Cup last season. I actually going to take gold trip in that race, Nick, the Melbourne Cup winner. Uh, he ran a decent race over a mile and a quarter last weekend, up to a mile and a half on Saturday. And what is generally a pretty weak uh, Group 1 in, in Sydney, and I'll go gold trip to win the Tangra Stakes at 5.40 Saturday morning GP time uh, for the Mar Eustace team. I like it, Lee. Thanks so much. That was Thursday, March the 23rd. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.